Thank you all for checking out Convergence. Today you are listening to a conversation with my best friend, Eric Barnett. In the podcast, we talk about being honest with yourself and aware of your mental and emotional state. We also touch on Jesus being the one who grounds us. Check out our website at conversionsva.com. There you will find featured artists and their artwork, as well as past and present podcasts. You can also find Convergence Podcasts on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Convergence Podcast for the wanderer, cynic, and half-empty. So, Eric Barnett, how are you doing? Good, sir. I am wonderful. How are you? I am doing pretty well. Good. (laughs) 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 Why is that sarcastic? Good. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) No, that was dumb. I'm pretty good. So, do you mind telling um, the listeners a little bit about um, kind of how you grew up, a little bit of your story? Uh, yeah, I'm, it's it's pretty simple. I mean, it started off good. It started off, I would say, for the most part, up until I was nine years old, it was pretty good. Um, that's, well, I say pretty good because that's, I, I didn't exactly know behind the scenes what was going on. Um, up until about nine years old, I was kind of going, just living my life. And, um, there was times where, you know, I would hear my parents fight about money, but you know, parents fight, that's what, that's what it was. Um, it wasn't until I realized that, uh, Again, it was about when I was nine years old. Uh, so this is still 1999 era-ish. Uh, it's when my parents got divorced. That was kind of the cataclysm. Uh, but leading up to that was uh, we spent about a year or so uh, homeless. Actually, we were homeless um, on the road. We were jumping from state to state. Uh, we went, I want to say we went from Ohio to Pennsylvania, to Texas, and like kind of all in between there was like Missouri, Texas, um, all those states. It it was all kind of a blur, if I'm being honest with you. We went back up to Pennsylvania, and then we went back home, and we stayed in a a homeless shelter for uh, the better part of three months, and that's where it started all kind of going wrong. Um, there was a lot of things that happened at that point. Um, and actually a lot of things that I still, I actually just found out that I still have trauma to to this day. Um, one of the the major things was, uh, when I, one of the times we we had to sleep in the car because we started running out of money because being homeless, my dad quit his job and kind of need a job to have money. And, uh, 
So we started to sleep in the car, and there was more times than not that we, uh, I would wake up, and there was people um, looking into the car. And every time someone gets like, I mean, I live in a city now, uh, so every time someone gets there, I mean, we have like panhandlers and all that stuff. We have those on a daily basis. And every time one gets a little too close to my car, I'm kind of like, like getting in that fight or flight mode. Like I'm gonna run you over, right? mode because it, I just don't like that anyway. Like because of that, it's just so much worse. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Anyway, getting back to the story. So we were in this homeless shelter, and I, I gotta find the news article somewhere because I was in the news. A politician, I want to say, I think it was the. I want to say it was, I don't want to say it was the governor, but it was like someone that was kind of like in between the mayor and the governor. Uh, he came, his name was Rex Damschroeder. Um, and he came down, he interviewed us and we were in the news. We were on like in one of the news articles, of course, you know, seeing me and my parents in the news article about being homeless, you know, that totally went well over at school. Yeah. The, um, the politician interviewed you guys. Yeah. I, it was like the, like, the his like I said his name was Rex I want to say it was like I don't know he was he was a politi- politician political significance that's what he was he was a political significance and he interviewed well technically it was my mom and my dad that he interviewed but I was there you know and they always they took a picture because you know this is a great scoop right almost family and in Fremont Ohio who would have thought it um. But so, yeah, that was kind of the catalyst. And after we we moved into my grandma's house after the homeless shelter was like, well, look, dude, you've stayed your maximum stay. Got to go. We had no money. So my grandma decided to take me in or take all of us in rather. And then uh, we ended up getting a place over in Fremont. And it was an apartment. It wasn't anything special. But we started to. I started to notice there's a lot more tension ever at like since that my parents were fighting worse. I would remember going to bed, like hearing them scream at each other. Um, there was times I didn't get to sleep because they were screaming at each other. And I was so like worried about it. And, um, on top of that, like one day, and this is a messed up part. Uh, this is probably within that same year that my parents we came back, I'm going to say, because my dad was working at a place called Atlas Industries in Gibsonburg uh, at the time. That's when he first started there, actually, a long time ago. That's when he first started. First, he was on the floor. He was before he got into any kind of, like, like managerial position over there. Um, but one day, my I was, out, I was over at my grandma's because I think I was, I was during the summer. Yeah, it was definitely during the summer. Um so we, I was over at my grandma's and my mom came and picked me up and my dad was supposed to come pick me up, which is why I thought that was kind of weird, but we only had one car at the time. So I was like, well, whatever, you know, and we, I get in the car and my mom says, Hey, we're going to go meet your dad. And, uh, we're just going to, we're going to take a drive. We're going to go meet your dad somewhere. We're going to go get some meat. I'm like, oh, cool. So we went. And we decided to also, like, 
we just kept driving and driving and eventually we ended up by Toledo and that about that time when I was just like this is an awfully long way to meet you know my dad but why, why would he be up here he doesn't even have a car right um so you know that's when I finally was like like mom where's dad hello um and I remember she pulled off to the side of the road and she was saying uh your dad's not coming and we're getting a divorce and we're going to New Jersey and I just sat there and I kind of thought about it I'm like why why and why um because obviously I mean I was nine years old I didn't I didn't know even know what the word divorce meant at that point right Um, yeah so I remember just, and, like, my mom explained, I was, and I explained about what was going on, and, like, I just remember, like, crying for a really long time, and then, eventually, after I stopped crying, my mom was like, well, make it better, let's go get McDonald's, because chicken nuggets takes the depression away, apparently. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to make it humor, I just, you know, if you don't laugh at your own jokes, you'll be dead. Anyway, um, <laughs> so... After that, we started driving, and we started seeing mountains, and we just drove and drove and drove. Eventually, there actually was a Amber Alert out for me. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, there was an Amber Alert uh, out for me. My dad actually froze uh, because the account was only in his name, which is kind of where my mom messed up uh, because there, like, the account was only in my dad's name, and she was withdrawing, 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 withdrawing constantly from uh, the bank. So my dad was like, well, no, screw this, and froze the account, and that cut us off from money. So again, we had to start sleeping in cars, and we had to start sleeping in parking lots, and again, people start walking. It just brought that past trauma all the way back up. Um, History tended to repeat itself at that moment, and... This is the weirdest thing. So there's two weird stories that come from this. I don't know if I told you the first one. Um, The first one is the first night that we were on the road. We actually stopped at, um, we stopped in Toledo before we made our, our long trip. And we stopped at this night's inn and it was right off the highway. And we got into the night's inn into the hotel and I'm, I don't know why, but the room was so hot and like, there was like the air condition, like didn't work. But the minute I walked in that room, like I'm telling you why I had a migraine, like no other. And like my head felt like it was going to splug. You never, have you ever had those like headaches that you get nauseous from? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. It was like that. I mean, it was like debilitating, like nauseous. And, like, I couldn't hardly see out of my eye, like, my right eye. It was just so bad. I was like, oh, my gosh, I get, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I want to stay here anymore. It's just too hot. I think that's what's causing it, uh, yada, yada, yada. And so my mom was like, okay, whatever. We ended up getting our money back, and we started, we went into another uh, hotel, the Howard Johnson, uh, I think on the other side of town. Um, but it turns out, <laughs> this is freaky, uh, it turns out that, there was a news report about three or four days after we had left that hotel that we had seen that the person that came into that room, that same exact room that we were in, uh, was shot in the head. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah, I don't know if I ever told you about that, but he was shot in the head. He was actually, like, he owed some drug dealer money, and he was there hiding out, and they found him, and they shot him straight in the head. Wow. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so the second one I know I've told you about. Um, so this one, we went to New Jersey, and that's where I found out that my mom uh, was meeting a lady friend. Uh, we'll call it that a lady friend um, from a chat site for all you kids, <laughs> like nineties kids out there. I'm kind of showing my age, but um, it was called talk city. Yeah. And um, she met this person or was going to meet this person from talk city. And uh, we were at this festival and some of her friends were there and my mom had mentioned her name like hey like we were supposed to meet her here where is she and they kind of looked at her and looked at her really strange and she was like haven't you heard and obviously my mom was like no otherwise i wouldn't be here and so it turned out that the husband actually found out uh about um my mom and hers little plans to meet up and got very upset and actually murdered her oh my gosh are you serious yeah dead serious murdered her just straight like strangled her oh man yeah and so uh (laughs) needless to say we were in new jersey with a bank account frozen with no money and our car was about ready to run out of gas so (laughs) with that my mom used the uh, remaining money uh, now, note, this has taken, I would say, two weeks at this point, and this is two weeks where my dad had no idea where I was, um, and my mom had drove us back to um, to Fremont, and we were at this laundromat we always used to go to, and it's still there to this day, which is still kind of like, it makes me cringe just looking at it every time I go by there. Right. Yeah. Because I, I remember getting on a payphone, and my mom called my dad. And goes, here's your dad, you choose. And basically, the the choice was I either stay with my mom or I go live with my dad. Um, and I saw it, everything that had happened and transpired in the last two weeks. And I'm like, I don't want any part of that. Right. So, and plus, I missed my dad. I haven't seen my dad in two weeks. I, I didn't know if I was ever going to see him again. So I chose my dad. Um which did not make my mom happy, and she started flipping out on me. At the, at, and now, mind you, I'm still nine years old. Yeah. Um, flipping out on me on, you know, at a laundromat. And so uh, my dad came with the cops and got me. And I guess there was arrangements made that there were no charges to be pressed uh, if I were to be brought back. Uh, I'm not entirely sure about that because I have no idea why there wasn't charges pressed. I know that if it was my situation, I would have pressed charges regardless. Yeah. But, you know, to each their own. And so I went and lived with my dad and uh, that was kind of the main uh, events in my young childhood. Now, fast forward, I was about 10, 10 and a half at this point. And we started to go live with my aunt, so I went to go stay with her in Gibsonburg. That was actually when I first came to Gibsonburg. 
uh, was when we went to uh, her house with my three cousins and my uncle. And soon after not, I started being the victim of physical, mental, and emotional abuse. Uh. And I mean, to the point where I was, oh my God, there was time. I mean, obviously, you know, he hit, kicked, scratched, whatever, you know, that's typical. Um, but I was also, uh, a lot of times I didn't like the food that they would make because she's not a good cook. And when they did cook, uh, if I didn't eat it, it would be shoved down my throat until I puked. My gosh, dude. Yeah. And a lot of times that happened, uh, at breakfast and they would still send me to our elementary school with that on my shirt. Uh, quite a few times they did that, uh, which isn't one of the things that as I get, I guess, as I get older, um, I've asked them why this all kinds of times is why didn't anybody say anything? Cause I know they noticed, like I had bruises all over my face. I had dried puke on my shirt. I probably stunk because of that. And like, I just didn't, like, I wouldn't socialize with anybody. Right. I didn't want to socialize with anybody. I was already getting bullied at school. Right. Because uh, I was the new kid on top of it all. Um, and so I, I often wonder why no one said anything, um, which is, I mean, it's not like I can do anything about it now, but it's kind of like if you're if you're listening and you're in that profession right now, you need to say something. Like, yeah. Just say something. Because if you don't, like, it could end up so much worse. I was the fortunate one to where uh, my my dad had come home early from work because there. I mean, there was times I used to I was like literally like clung onto his leg, begging him not to go because he, they were going to hurt me, and they did every single time. And uh, I remember one day my dad came home from work early, uh, to, or not early for lunch actually. And basically they were in the middle of the act of doing what they were doing. And my dad saw me get basically tumbled down the steps. Oh and gosh, dude. Yeah. And at that point, um, the cops came again. I mean, and this was going on for a while. I would say a better part of a year. Um, it just sucked because every single time I was, I was getting abused for a better part of a year. No one knew I was too afraid to say anything. My mom, who had just started getting back on her feet, uh, was trying to see me, and I wanted to see her, but they would block her calls. They would ignore her calls, and, you know, for the better part of a year, I thought she had nothing to do with me because I thought she was just, you know, not there, and I didn't realize that they were blocking her calls. Right. Um, So cops came, came and got me, and we went back to my grandma's house. Uh, for the better, for the remainder of the year. And that's when we found an apartment. My dad got, you know, promoted and we went to an apartment and uh, it was our first, I guess, place in Gibsonburg, which is that place on uh, West Easting Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember yeah. that place. Yeah, that little brick uh, tri- triplex, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Of apartments. Yep, that was where we moved. Wow. Yep, that is where we moved, and uh, that's where I finished, you know, up until, you know, everything started to to smooth out after that. 
for the for the most part i still got bullied uh you know people will be people um and i still got made fun of but it was nothing compared to what i was used to right you know um my dad started dating uh people and that's when it started up again uh, my dad would like continuously try to put you know them in in front of you know his own son but you know I can understand because it was a long time since my dad's had started dating and I was probably just a selfish kid, but I still, my, I digress. Um, and then in the fifth grade, I came down with, uh, like, I guess it's a virus, um, called mononucleosis. Yeah. It's a virus. Yeah. Yeah. And it almost killed me. I was in the ICU up in Toledo for two weeks man. and I was in the regular hospital room for another two weeks. So collectively a month, uh, I was in, in the hospital. Um, I had so much blood work. My veins collapsed. I had IVs in both arms. I couldn't eat anything. The first thing that I was ever, ever able to eat after that was McDonald's French fries or no applesauce. Applesauce was the first thing. Um, I eat McDonald's french fries after. Um, but yeah, applesauce. And uh, I lost, I want to say I lost a total of 60 pounds. Good <clears throat> lord, man. Yeah. In the hospital because I just kept, I couldn't keep anything down. I couldn't eat. Um, and it was crazy. Like it almost, it almost like killed me. And it was kind of actually ironic if ever like anyone asked the definition of irony. The same people that were bullying me and calling me all kinds of names did a group art project for a banner that says get well soon and they all signed it and all said nice things yeah it's strange how that kind of thing happens yeah it, so yeah it's it, <laughs> yeah it literally took me to be on my deathbed for people to be nice to me at that point mm-hmm. yeah i had so. some when i was in the hospital i had people that i was just surprised that some of the people that were concerned about my well-being Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 really weird. <laughs> yeah, it, isn't it funny how that that stuff's like they they try to like oh crap you might die because I better say sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, even though it's like yeah, just save it. Like <laughs> yeah, know what I mean yeah. Um, and then it wears off. Yeah. yeah, it just it's like yeah, and then after you're out of the hospital, you're like oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, good, yeah, good, good to see you. Yep. Like, uh, sorry you didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you say to that? Like, whatever. Right. Um, so, yeah. I mean, then that was, and then essentially after that, that was my entire fifth grade year. Um, after that, I passed my fifth grade year being homeschooled uh, for that. And I moved on to sixth and seventh grade, which in which I got held back in seventh grade. Uh because I was a, let's just say I was an A student. <laughs> <laughs> um, I drove my teachers nuts. I mean, there I didn't do anything. I'll be honest with you. I didn't do a darn thing. And my dad's like, well, no. I actually had to go to summer school, and I got held back. Dang. Yeah. So after I got held back, that's when I, I <laughs> came into your guys' class. Yeah. And that's when we met. Yeah, 
Yeah, and that's when we met because I got held back. Wow. And it's funny that you say <laughs> that's so funny that you sent me that uh, that picture of that crayon. Oh yeah. That tickle me pink crayon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because like okay, so literally for you guys that don't know, like we spent a collective thirty minutes. It was a study hall. At least. At least thirty minutes. I say collective like thirty minutes because it's probably more like an hour. <laughs> but... <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> but we spent a, a good portion of that study hall just absolutely crapping our pants laughing because of this tickle me pink crayon and we had never seen anything like it and my sense of humor is about the, the equivalent of a trash bag apparently um, <laughs> a trash bag <laughs> it's garbage uh, but yeah and is that's how we i guess became friends because you thought i was annoying at first but you know what <laughs> i did <laughs> Cause your locker was like two, two away from mine. All the time, cause of that, it was always in alphabetical order. And our our greet our greeting was usually, "Hey idiot," and then you'd be like, "Hey idiot," and then we'd <laughs> slam our lockers and walk away. <laughs> it's so true. Hey idiot. Oh, hey idiot. That was literally what we would say every. Every day, until that yeah. study hall, until that crayon, and then we just devolved into our primal selves uh, yeah. <laughs> and reformed friends and friendship from the ashes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because it was stupid crayon. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, hashtag not sponsored, but thanks, Crayola. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to want to do a freaking commercial now because of this. Tickle me pink. It'll make you best friends with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what my childhood was. It was crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To put it, you know, lightly. And honestly, like, hearing, like, I've heard your story before, but um, hearing it again, it just man it hits heavy um for one because you're my best friend and i hate hearing hate hearing that you had to go through that stuff and it hits heavy too because um our childhoods were a little different but there are quite a few similarities and so it just kind of brings me back to just feeling how you know, a kid feels when he goes through really traumatic things. And yeah, so, I mean, it brings you back to, you know, the similarities and stuff and how you felt during those times and right, all that stuff. And I, I've heard your story before, too, and, it, it, yeah, I, I can completely agree because that's how I feel, too, when I hear your story. So I wanted to ask you, Eric, um, and I know there's a lot more to your story. There's a lot of other things that happened in, through your teen years and then to your early adult life. But I wanted to ask you, um, how did some of that stuff affect you as an adult? Oh, gosh. Um, well, like I was saying about how, you know, people coming up to, to my car, um, 
still really freaks me out. There actually is kind of funny because the other day, uh, this this girl came up to my car after work. I was at the gas station getting gas, and I was just I put ten dollars in, and then I had to use the restroom because uh, I realized that I hadn't used the restroom all day. And then after I used the restroom and came back out, uh, I was gonna put ten more dollars in, but a young girl had come up to my car and freaked me out. I mean, I jumped. I straight jumped Man. because of that reason. Yeah, uh, because of that that whole issue i straight jumped back and it actually kind of scared her and she was like oh my god i'm so sorry i didn't i didn't mean to you know like scare you or anything but i was just wondering if you could spare some change for gas and like i was like oh yeah sure and i put the you know remaining ten dollars that i was gonna put in my car into hers right so but uh getting back to your question it it does affect a lot of stuff so a lot of the the trauma it is made i guess i've had a lot of anger with it um in the past and i've had a lot of a lot of doubts uh i i guess what i like what i i've noticed about myself um is that i am kind of in that borderland that, that borderline land of high functioning anxiety all right so Basically, what that means for me is that, yeah, I work really hard, but only because I don't want to let anybody down. And, yeah. like, I, I like to people please. I don't like to say no. Um, I don't like the thought of failure messing up. It, the, the thought of failure and messing up is literally worse than actually doing it. Right. And, like, so it gets to the point where I'm a perfectionist about myself. And then in that same moment, I start becoming a perfectionist of other people hmm. uh, to where, like, I know how I would do it. Right. And so it's like, well, I know how I would do it. Why wouldn't you think of this the same way? Are you stupid? Like, yeah, I constantly have that that in my mind constantly. Um, and like I said, a lot of the anger is really it has really gotten the better of me over my early adulthood years. And it only took to, till I would say just this last year, you know, to where I was like, I am done doing this. Yeah. You know, I was like, I am done doing this. I'm done being this angry person. I'm done. I'm done not taking care of and being self-aware of my mental state. Yeah. And so, but before then, I mean, my gosh, I used to have rage. I used to have like angry outbursts. I used to, there would be times and there's still times where I just say things to people because I know it would make them feel bad. And it's like, well, screw you. I don't even care. Yeah. Um, and it's a very dangerous line to walk on because I, I've mastered the art of not really caring about what people think, but at the same time, I, it gets to the point where it's like I, I've mastered the art of not caring about other people at all. Sure. Yeah. And so like, and, and like, obviously there's people that are exempt to that. Like obviously my wife and you and, and Sarah and, and Emily's parents and all that stuff. But when it comes to my dad, no, he's, he's one of those people. Sure. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, like it, it's, it gets to the point where it's like, I don't care. Like, if you're going to sit there and you're going to, like, piss me off, I'm going to run you off the road. 
All right. Yeah. You're going to sit there and do this? I'll personally do this purposely just to mess with you or just to make your day a living hell. Like, right. You know, and it it sucks. Yeah, because it, it doesn't really... It kind of, in a way, is leaving you in a position where you're hurt and you're angry and then you're kind of lashing out on other people. But all that's really doing is further isolating you and kind of boosting up those hurts and negative feelings, right? I mean, am I right in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's kind of like a like a sandwich almost. Like basically I get to the point where I'm fed up. I lash out at somebody. And then I see how they, like, I don't know. And then, it, like, after I lash out, I, I come down from that. And then I see, you know, then I'm just like, man, I shouldn't have said that. I kind of feel like a dick. Right. Yeah. Or, or to, like, it gets to the point where it's like something happens, I say something, and then I, something happens where it's like someone comes back and maybe like, hey, you can't say this or, hey, you can't do this. Or, you might get in trouble or something like that. And then I feel, I like, that's when my anxiety starts kicking in heavy. It's like, oh my God, what do I do? Oh my God, I'm going to get fired. Oh my God, I'm going to do that. Oh my God, it's gonna, I'm never going to have any friends again. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. It just snowballs out of control. Mm-hmm. And then it just stacks up, and then it repeats itself because you're already feeling like that, and it's like, oh God, I have such a short fuse, I'm going to, like, don't test me today. You know, like... Yeah. It sucks. It sucks. And it, like, the one thing that sucks the most is that you can't take that back. That's right. Like, yeah. I like being an honest person. I like being an open and honest person, but sometimes there is such a thing as being too honest. And a lot of times that I kind of cross that border. Sure. Yeah. Yep. That makes you sense. Know? Like it just sucks. Like that. So because of everything that they've done in my early childhood, now I'm taking out on people and that's, and that's something in the past year or so that I've come to the conclusion that I don't want to do that. Like, um, and it, it's also really obscured uh, how I see the bigger picture of things. All right. Okay. Um, what do you so, mean by that? So like, okay, take an example of <clears throat> I'm in the grocery store and I'm sitting there and I'm going, I want say if I want some, some ice cream or something, I go to the ice cream aisle and there's someone standing right in front of the ice cream that I want. And they're standing there with their kid. And I'm trying to, I, normally I sit there and I, I act like I'm, I'm looking at something else and I'm trying not to bring too much attention to the situation, you know, and they're still, they're just still there. And it's, it's starting to piss me off. Like, quite frankly, it's starting to make me angry. I'm just like, <sighs> all right. But I do that out loud. The dude looks at me, but I'm not seeing the fact that he's just trying to, he's not personally trying to attack me by standing there. He's not purposely trying to be stupid or right. idiotic by, by, standing there or purposely trying to piss me off he's just there getting ice cream with his grandkid or son to enjoy the weekend where it's beautiful out and they're just trying to have fun right yeah but it's such a heavily obscured thing because i'm always so used to people attacking me and so i'm so used to people coming at me and so used to people doing this and so used to you know it's like it's like it really obscures the 
perception in my mind that everybody's not trying to attack me. Yeah, I mean, I've that's a good point to bring up, Eric. I mean, I've I've struggled with the exact same thing. You know, when you've when you've been through a lot of trauma, the one thing I've noticed is that it's really really difficult to not automatically view everyone around you as your abuser or as an enemy. You know, you're kind of always looking out and just waiting for that moment where you let your guard down just enough and then boom, they attack. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of like you're you're leading like a dog, like for those that abuse dogs, like they lead them in like, "Oh, come here, come here. It's okay. Come here." And then they come to you and then you whack. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. You know, but like, yeah. And then it's like, and, and like, there are some genuinely nice people out there and I would like to think, you know, I try to come off as one of them. Um, but there are some people that even though they're, they're being loud or obnoxious or stupid or whatever word you want to use to describe them as they're not purposely trying to attack you and it's really hard to make that distinguish like thought in your head Definitely. you know they're just doing this because they have something going on or they're just doing because they have a bad day or they're just doing because they're a miserable person they're they're doing the same thing you are and yeah that's a good point it's yeah and it's really hard to make that distinction and then once you're in that mode that's when it comes out, and that's when you're like, nah, 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 nah. You're be- I'm better at being a jerk than you are. No, that's not – I'm going to be a jerk to you. Like, Yeah. And then it just – and then, then you do something, and then they look at you like, what was that for? Right. Like, like geez, dude. Like, calm down, man. Mm-hmm. Like, calmer than you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying. But, and enjoying my coffee. Yeah. I would like some pie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it just, that's the hardest, that's the most prominent thing that I've, I've become self-aware of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I think one of the main things we're going to be driving home in this podcast is just the importance of being aware of your emotional and mental state and also being honest with yourself about how you're feeling and kind of where you are at mentally and emotionally. And do you think, Eric, like that's what kind of um, brought you to the point where you realized, okay, something needs to change here. You know, I'm not really proud of how I'm I'm handling um, my emotions and my mental state. Do you think that's kind of where that started for you? It it kept uh, coming out at, at my wife, and that's what really kind of like kickstarted that. Um, and not just my wife, but like her family, and it started coming out at, at her. It started coming out at my dad, and even though I feel like he deserves it, um, he doesn't really. Yeah, that's because that's true. I came to the conclusion that a lot of the stuff that actually happened wasn't entirely my dad's fault. But at the same time, he couldn't be 
apparent to me now if he if I was still holding him to the standards that he had set in the past. Right. And being and that's just all that that's all come from being mentally aware. Meditation has helped me tremendously. Sure. Um and it doesn't have to be the typical meditation where you get incense and you're like oh, bop, bop, bop. Yeah. Like, you know, it meditation can be as simple as driving in the car without any music on and just thinking about what's going to happen. Like, yeah, just or, like a state of introspection, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Just in a reflection and, or like if I'm in the shower in the morning, uh, I set a, a meditation video on this, so like 12 minutes long and I just sit there for the first five minutes and I just listen to the, to the music that's playing and the voice that's speaking and I just start thinking, it's like, okay, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? What can I do to control it? What's out of my control? Um, what's in my control? The big thing is what's out of my control. So you got to realize what's out of your control. And you, you can't you can't control it. That's why it's out of your control. Yeah. And so it, when you let go of that and let go of that whole notion of um, – trying to control things that you already know that's out of your control, you're going to start feeling a little bit easier uh, with yourself. So like, like people in the grocery store, I can't control them, but right. I can control how I act. I can control whether it, maybe I can get another ice cream and have that one at a later date. Who knows? Yeah. That's a cool, you know, but like, or like people on the road, people cut you off. You see people all the time getting, you know, PO'd at the people and they flip people off and they end up getting like down here in the city that I'm in. Well, technically up here for you, but um, in the city that I'm in, if you are not careful with the road rage you have, you will get shot. Sure. Like there's been shootings in this past week because of road road rage. All right. But, you know, and I start thinking about that and I start thinking about people that have like, it's like, what if that was me? Like, yeah. because I wasn't self-aware of my mental state and I was in a bad mood and I flipped somebody off. Some dude come around, pulled a gun on me and shot me. Yeah. And all over just being a little upset that he cut you off. Yeah. Yeah. Over something as simple as being cut off. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's the, the bigger picture again, that I was saying that I had a hard time realizing. And it's like, you got to meditate on the big picture. You got to focus on the big picture. Sure. Um, you got to focus on the fact that everyone else in this world has a different life. And, you know, you might be the main character of your life, but you're the guest character in somebody else's life. That's true. That's very true. Well, they, and, they might be going through similar things that we've gone through or worse or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you never know what people are having to deal with internally. Right. Like they could be going through, I mean, a loved one could be dying of COVID. Right. right now. That's right. You know, um, <clears throat> there could be someone that's in the hospital right now that's been going through that's in a different state and they can't go there right now uh, because maybe they don't have enough funds. You know, that, that's got to make them feel like crap. Definitely. You know, or something maybe their friend just committed suicide it's a very real possibility i don't want to get dark with it but like that's true though yeah. <clears throat> it is it's uh, it's the honest truth like or 
you know, maybe someone just broke up with them or a friendship ended because it was toxic or something. Yeah. But I I think either way, um, even if, let's say they're not going through something terrible, the key is we have to view the people around us like God views them as, you know, he, he, he loves us all and he cherishes each and every one of us and we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we kind of have to keep in mind that God loves that person that cut you off just as much as he loves you and he cares about them just as much as he cares about you. And when we start to look at others like um, Jesus looks at us, that also puts things into into perspective and we can you know, choose to love that person even if they're making us upset. And we can also choose to love them kind of um, through our lens of being traumatized, you know. Um, But I wanted to ask you too, Eric, we were talking also about honesty, being honest with how you're feeling. And I know for me, I that was probably the first thing that I struggled with was and really counseling brought that out in me that for years and years and years and it was just kind of a way that I survived I was I was not honest with myself on how I was feeling it was like in a lot of ways I was disassociated disattached from how I was feeling internally and so for you Eric how did you realize that you were not being honest with yourself about how you were feeling? Um, I mean, it's, I, I think you used a good word there. You used the word survive. Yeah. Um, because it is, it's a very fight or flight instinct, um, to, to be in. It's a very fight or flight mentality. Um, I think the, the way I realized it, um, now I, I still consider counseling and, and stuff. And I support anyone that goes to counseling and I, I commend them highly. But for me, it was just a point where I was like, I am so, this is not how I want my life to be. This is not how I want this to happen. Like I was making my wife very upset. She was crying. She, and honestly, she kind of had a, a big part to deal with it because she kind of looked at me and she was like, you cannot stop treating us as your punching bags. And like her being honest with me and her calling me out kind of brought that to the forefront of my mind. And it just happened. You know, we got into a really bad fight. I was like, you know, you're right. I don't want to be like this. Sure. And when I said that, I like, I said that in the moment, but then I started thinking about it more. And I started being more specific on that thought. And it's like, I don't want to be like this to other people just because it was done to me. Yeah. Like, I know how I am as a person. I know how I, how I want to be as a person. And I don't want to be messed with. I want to live my life. I don't want anyone to like mess with me. I just want to be left alone. And I just want to have, the right to be happy with my wife and my life and my friends and everything. And 
as long as I have that, I'm good. Sure. Like, that's the kind of thought process that I had was I'm like, you know what? What can help me get into the fact that I can really just stop? And I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, I just got to be honest and I got to write it down. And, you know, actually, a lot of it was forgiveness. Yeah. Yep. And that, and you and I actually had had that conversation a while back um, about forgiveness. And um, there was a lot of things that I, 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 it's when I started reading the Bible. um, And one of the phrases that, that kind of ran in conjunction with that was the Lord is my shepherd. I will not waver. Um, and stuff like that. And it was, you know, it was give it to God, just give it to God. And so I took everything that I couldn't control. I was like, you know what? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not waver. And I just gave it to God. Yeah. And you would be amazed, even though that little phrase, how much better I felt. Yeah. No, I, because I was like, Pass it off. I'm done. I'm done dealing with it. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's what really when it comes down to it, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to give give those things to him. And you'd be surprised at how much undescribable peace you feel in that moment. Yeah. It's it's not even like it's almost it's not even a natural uh, feeling. Like it, it feels unnatural. Like, cause in one, one part of you feels like I should not be feeling peace right now, but you do, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good way to describe it. Cause like there's half of me that was at the, at that point was feeling like, no, I'm still pissed off. I'm still, he did this. He doesn't deserve my forgiveness. But at the same time, I also felt uh, like, like I took a like a deep breath in, and when I breathed out, like all my muscles had just relaxed simultaneously. Yeah, it was like laying down in the most comfortable bed you could possibly imagine. Yeah, and yeah. just being like, you know, like like you've been you've been at work for like sixteen hours, and you finally get to come home and sit down. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because I think I think what happened, Eric, is that God God spoke to you both through your wife and just kind of internally, and when you answered, you you gave all that stuff that you were holding up, you know, and God moved in and just loved on you. He gave you His peace, and He kind of I would say helped you to in a sense, see your dad as he sees him and you were able to to forgive him. That doesn't mean forgetting, but just to forgive him and yeah. kind of re- release that um, that thing you were holding over him kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not perfect, for sure, by any means. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it it definitely helped me and it was kind of weird because like it was just there was sign after sign after sign after sign and like it started off with Emily saying it and then Emily would send me TikToks on forgiveness 
and then um there'd be like sometimes i'd be watching tiktok and one of those like you like tiktoks would come on it's like you just gotta let go it's like you can't be holding on to this because this is like a toxic sludge that's considered and it was just like really specific right like even to the point where like there was a sign a billboard on a place that we had never driven to before in our lives and it just said forgiveness is the key i swear to god <laughs> i mean I god swear. god does speak to us like that sometimes absolutely it's i i have a really quick example it's not really related to this but one time i was um it's going to sound a little corny but i i used to um chew tobacco and i remember at that point i was struggling with it because i didn't feel like it was something that i should be doing you know has adverse health risks and you know i just felt like it was something that was kind of getting in the way of my relationship with god because i was depending on the tobacco to kind of give me peace and not on him and so one night i had i kid you not i literally i had a dream and it was this store display and all these different brands of chewing tobacco and in bold red letters, it said, sin, sin, sin. And I woke up. Whoa. Yeah, craziest. I've never had anything like that happen to me since then or before then. It was really vivid and just a unique way that God spoke to me in that moment to tell me, Andrew, you really need to stop, you know, using chewing tobacco. And so just thought That's I'd throw that. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it it was crazy. It's it almost sounds unbelievable, but I kid you not. Yeah, but I, I totally believe that. I'm mean, just crazy. That's that's crazy that something like that would happen. But that that makes my my billboard thing kind of it gives me confirmation almost on that because like the I swear I swear to you this um this billboard literally all it said was forgiveness is key. Yeah. And it, that that was literally I'm like okay like. <laughs> like <laughs> but at that point that's when i was like okay <laughs> like i need to i need to kind of reassess things that are going on here and i i told i told emily that if i was going to forgive my dad it was going to be on my terms it was going to be when i could actually mean it sure because i didn't want to apologize and still hold on to any any grudge and i did i actually wrote my dad a letter and i apologized to him um granted it was via facebook but i did apologize to everything he said and you know what he said hmm okay son i love you all right yeah only thing that he said but you know what at that point i was like oh well yeah i kind of expected that and but hey look what i did and we talk sometimes but I said things along the line of, Hey, I, I know I haven't been perfect. I know I've taken out a lot of stuff on you. Um, but this is exactly what I forgive you for. And I understand there's a lot of stuff that was out of your control. Um, it wasn't all just you. It's not fair to you. Um, but I am willing to work on a relationship. I'm where I'm willing to work on building up, to where you can come down and, and see us and you can come down and see our animals again and you can be around us and in in as a part of our life and he hasn't really made that effort 
But at the same time, because that I knew that was going to happen, and I expected that to be to happen, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? I did what I needed to do, and whatever is on his plate is for him to deal with, and I can't control it. I can't take anything off his plate, but I just took everything off mine. Sure. And do you think part of that also, and I guess another thing that plays into that, do you think that um, because you gave it to God, um, it's kind of when you get when you're giving it to Him, you're releasing your control over the situation, and He moves in and gives you His peace, and it's kind of something that God has, which He had all along, but you're just right. You're recognizing that he has it now, you know. So, do you think that that also is kind of giving you some peace about you know your dad's reaction to um, the letter? Yeah, I mean it. Like I said, I I had expected it, but like normally I would get really depressed. Right. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, it does. But. At this time, I was like, you know, that, it sucks, but that's up to him. I can't make him do anything. Right. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to make him do anything. You know what I mean? Like God has given me the peace and the strength uh, to send that letter of forgiveness, even though it was not easy. Yeah. Um, but I did send that letter and he moved in. He took all of that, that, cause it was, there was a big space left. Like after I had pushed that all and then all of that came in, like, like I said, it's not perfect by any means. I'm still, there's still a lot of things I'm still trying to, you know, deal with. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, at this point I was like, you know what? I did something awesome because of what I did with, you know, the talks that I had with God and the, the, the stuff that he, the strength that he gave me, I did something awesome with it. Right. And that really led into me being like, okay, I, maybe I just do need to start being more honest with my mental state and my mental emotions and my mental health. And, you know, Every day is not a good day. It's you know, there's days where I'm just like, oh my god, I'm just overwhelmed. I can't deal with this. Yeah. But the fact that I'm able to one admit that I, I am not perfect and was able to forgive myself and forgive my dad at the same time, and then him taking all that out, him putting his 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 peace and his love and all that stuff in in the me, you know, I. I feel so much more grounded. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, it really moved in. Like, like yeah, at peace is a very good way to put it, but, like, grounded. Like, I can finally, for all of you that deal with, like, that kind of state of mind and that kind of, I guess, the best way to put it, it's a fog. Sure. It's a mental fog, and when you finally see through it, oh, it feels so good. Yeah, And when absolutely. you're finally grounded, yeah, and you're finally grounded, and you can make those decisions, and you can, like, make, you feel like you're in a clear mind, and you can make decisions like that, like, clearly, oh, man, it feels so good. It does. It does. I think, um, 
kind of two things with that. One, life is moment by moment. And there are going to be moments where you're not your best self. And when that happens, recognize that you have a moment ahead of you to be your best self. And yeah. leave leave that um, moment where you messed up behind. Yeah, and that's that's a good way to put it, is to leave that moment behind. Like, you know, a lot of times when I mess up, I look forward to learning from that. Like, I don't look forward to messing up. Like, hey, hey I'm going to get up out of bed, and I'm going to screw up big time today. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I do sit there and I say, okay, if I do mess up, I look forward to owning up to it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you're right. I said something that was stupid. You're absolutely right. And then I go forward and I'm like, you know what? I should probably do what I need to do to just, you know, ground myself again and then take it at as one step at a time and to become a better version of myself and then eventually become the best version of ourselves when, you know, it's the vision that God has set for us, that the plan, you know, that he set for us, and we can't control that. Right. So own up to what you're feeling. And it, it's scary at first because it makes you feel like, wow, I'm a wimp. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, or like some kind of wounded animal or something. Yeah, makes you feel weak. Yeah. not. Would you say, I guess, um, would you say sometimes you've, struggle because you feel like it is easier to kind of operate in that the old you I guess I'll just put it that way you know like the old Eric you think sometimes you struggle with that like feeling like oh man it's just easier when I'm in this space where I can be angry and just you know shove anybody that rubs me the wrong way away and you know what I'm saying yeah it very it, I can, it very easily happens to where I slip back into that mode. And it's just like, you know, I mean, my gosh, it happens every day. Sure. Like, where I'm like, nope, like, you're going to do this? Watch. I dare you. I dare you to do something like that. Like, kind of thing. But at the same time, it's like, I do that. And, but, and then after I get like that, I get a migraine. Sure. I get a straight headache. If I get into that mode and I get into that mode long enough, it drains me. A lot of times the mind can trick you to think that it's easier to be in that fight or flight. Cause you, I've done, we've done it. You and I have done it. Definitely. Consistently for years, decades. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, I think what makes it difficult at times because when you've kind of, um, operated in this mode of thinking and living and surviving for so long, it a lot of times it feels like that's you so when you're acting like a more grounded um the newer you um it can feel really uncomfortable and kind of feel like at times i know i struggle with this i feel like man i am leaving myself wide open right now mm -hmm. vulnerability yeah and but like you said it, it's worse, it doesn't, it's worse for you to act like the old you, like you feel, it's weird, once you experience the new you, you, f and you kind of revert back to your old ways, you feel the effects of that, physically, 
probably mentally, emotionally, um, tangibly, you know, like with relationships and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And it just, you just see it for what it is crap. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially for me, it's more physically. Yeah. You know, it's more physically like I'm, I'm always tired. Um, at that point, like it's emotionally, obviously, because you know, you're obviously you're trying to rip everybody's heads off or looking at your wrong. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but it just makes you feel so vulnerable. It makes you feel so like, like you said, wide open and you're just, you're not used to being so wide open. Right. But you're not really wide open if that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. And that's the hardest thing to really comprehend. Yeah. Cause I think in a way you are in the sense, like, you're giving instead of immediately jumping to you are you are my enemy i'm not going to let you get close you're giving people a chance to get close to you and new relationships will form and you know you'll feel loved and accepted and um it's a risk of course there's always risk but um i think in the end if if you switch to giving people a chance then ultimately you will benefit greatly from that um because when you're when you're in your opposite um survival mode you're just alone all the time yeah even though you might like physically might not be alone like you might have someone standing right next to you but you couldn't be more far from them like more distant from them that's right that's absolutely right yep because like oh my gosh like when you're you like i said you just you don't when you're in that mode you don't feel like talking to nobody you don't feel like like everything just every little thing just makes you go off mm-hmm. and you it's just and then every then you're really going to be physically alone because no one wants to be around that kind of thing my reaction is slightly different um because of the way i grew up um I had to internalize everything in order to survive and just kind of turn into a emotionless emotionless person. And so for me, the way it looks for me is I'm usually cold and distant. That's that's typically how I react. Um and I just I don't really like get angry and burst out in anger and you know what I mean? Like, I think we're a little bit opposite on that, but Mm -hmm. it's still the same. It's still the same thing. Um, we're still internally thinking the same things and, um, it's just the expression of it is a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing like this, it's not like a textbook definition of how it's supposed to look. It's it's got, quite a bit i mean there could be people that have several other different ways that it comes out definitely you know um i mean it's trauma trauma comes out it's like for you for me it's like okay i'm gonna you know i i got abused i got bullied a lot so for me it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna do that to you i'm gonna end i'm gonna end you like yeah i get in that mode i'm gonna i'm gonna end this situation before it even begins but sure. for you, it's kind of like almost like someone's flipping off your light switch. 
Definitely. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. That in fact, I've when I first started going to counseling, that was one of the first things I talked about because I noticed mm-hmm. that it was like a switch flipping on and off. And it would bother me cuz I didn't I didn't know why I was doing that. Like I you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. I had to talk with my counselor about that. And it took a long time for me to, to figure out, okay, this is really what's going on. I'm disassociating. And so, yeah, that was a great way to explain that. Yeah. Um, and Or someone's hitting a button and it's just powering you down, you know, because you have to, you, you just have to internalize everything. And so when you internalize everything, that's when your inner monologue starts going like crazy because then it's just like you're saying all the things you want to say but you can't say it so you just don't say it and then you build it up then and like that's just that it's almost like a freaking like boiler room that the boiler's just getting so much pressure and pressure and pressure it just blows up yeah and for for me the blow up was um just a spiraling depression to the point where i wanted to kill myself yeah, I've dealt with my fair share of suicidal thoughts too. I mean, not yeah. it, not just when I was going through it. I mean, there was times when I was trying to be honest with myself and all that stuff. I was trying to work on myself. I did spiral and I did go into suicidal thoughts, and it scared the ever-loving crap out of Emily. Yeah, yeah, understandably. I mean, unfortunately, that can be can be a part of um, dealing with internal issues, but. Um, the good thing is that we we can both rely on God um, to ground us, and we can also rely on those that we trust and love to surround us and help us in those times. And eventually, um, you move past that, and you're able to approach God, and I say, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm what's going on in my head you're basically relinquishing control of the situation to him but most of the time it's a slow process but it's for your good that it's slow because you have to work through a lot of different things and you have to um god has to enter into each of those things and help you to walk through those things fix those things um and it takes time, but in the end, it's worth it. And I feel like I can say that having gone through that very thing. And at the moment, it felt awful. You know, I just wanted it to be a light switch moment where it was like, okay, it's done. I can move on with my life. But I'm thankful that it was more of a slow process because I learned more about myself and others through that slow process. And I'm able to have a greater appreciation being at the end. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where I think yeah. if, if it would have been more instant, I don't think I would have appreciated it as much. And I definitely wouldn't have learned um, quite as much about myself or others. And I think too, Eric, is um, as you work through these things with God, he... He also shows you who you are in Jesus, you know, that you're accepted and secure and significant and loved. And when you're feeling 
crappy, you can go back to those, that foundation and say, you know, yes, I'm feeling crappy, but I'm accepted, secure, significant, and loved. And it's just something to ground you more. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you're having hard times doing that, a lot of things I did is I, I had the audio book for the Bible. Sure. And I listen. That's how I listen to. I mean, I have an hour drive to work every morning, so that's what I did. My hour drive. I just listened. Yes, I could not agree with that more. Um, I, like you, did the same thing, because I was at a point where I just was angry internally at everything and everyone, and angry with God, and. What really helped me was doing that. While I was at work mowing the the, um, the grass or driving to and from work, I would listen to the audio Bible or I would listen to um, Christ-centered podcasts or even Christ-centered music. And those things, uh, the combination of those things really broke through all those doubts and kind of just how I was viewing the world and God. And it just started to slowly challenge each of those things. And I was able to grab hold of them and wrestle with them and resolve them, you know, with, with God's guidance and help, of course. Um, yeah. And that's the whole, that's, that's the whole, and I know I've said this a million times, but that's the whole point of convergence. The greatest thing about, to add to your, um, to when you're listening to all that stuff, it, it kind of switched up my mindset. So instead of internalizing all the negative, I internalized everything I was hearing from the audio Bible. That's right. It really switched up my perspective. And like, I don't know for you, but when I was listening to it in my car, I almost felt like my car was a separate entity. Like the inside of my car was a separate entity and everything outside of it did not matter a single bit. Yeah. It was kind of like a sanctuary almost like a safe space. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, sanctuary is a good word for that because, like, that's yeah. It was almost like it was a sanctuary, and like outside this bubble, I don't care what happened. Yep, and eventually, the that car space that you were in, that that little sanctuary, it eventually works its way into you internally, and then it's just something that you always. It doesn't matter where you are you're always kind of in that sanctuary. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Eric, so much for coming on to this podcast today. I really, really appreciate it, man. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you for giving me the, the avenue to speak to, to people about this. Yeah, absolutely, man. 